aggressive aggressive recording button it's like are you ready to do this not really but no i think i think we're tired like it never ends also peek behind the curtain it's about two and it's two and a half plus hours later than we usually record yes because i'm living my my fake dream right now so uh this morning is doing pageant headshots yes that's still a thing i'm doing um and i forget that to do hair and makeup it takes like an hour and something for me and uh because it takes about an hour just to do my hair so i feel very very bad for the people who had to wait for me today but i'm very appreciative of them um and we are we are doing stuff i guess i guess please appreciate the uh the very very sweet message that i receive from victoria at around i don't know like 10 <laughs> saying can we i might be late fast forward to 245 i know i'm going oh it can't possibly take that long um okay when I texted you to tell you that I was like, I'm on my way home. Let's do it. At, or when you're like 2.30, I'm like, okay, because I got to eat. And then I'm going, I'm texting you from downtown because I got lost. I actually did eat. Um, shout out to Sea Island. Who? Which makes some, I'm not going to say great, great seafood, but it, it's like a fish shack. Um, and I needed catfish. If you are Southern, you will understand that statement. Catfish is a necessity out here. Well, and it's also one of those things that, like, you don't cook for yourself. Like, what? why would I go to H-E-B and, like, can I have two fillets, please? Just two. And, like, my sad little bag of catfish seasoning. I've never heard the phrase sad little bag of partnered with catfish seasoning before. Also, like, I hate frying at home if I can avoid it. And this is not. This is the part where I tell you that we're super bougie and for Christmas we got an air fryer. So see, I was just getting ready to say I would not put this in the air fryer. I wouldn't do it. I, I think I would do like any other fish. I just don't think the catfish would go well. It needs it needs that fat. So remember how last time we were joking about how there are only really like two sets of things that you read for Black History Month in school, and one of them is Maya Angelou poetry. We're reading Maya Angelou. Woo! <laughs> Even though it makes, you know what? I have some hot takes on this one that you uh, might find it interesting. You being audience and you also being Tori. What's up? Or are we going to discover we'll, we'll, them as we we'll go? We'll discover them as we go. We're not going to front load with hot takes. That's that's how you not have an audience. <laughs> that's called TikTok. Uh, <laughs> oh. I don't want to talk about the amount of messages I receive from Tori that are just TikToks. Yes, I apologize. It's very, no, it's very endearing. Uh, so... 
We have a content warning. Yeah, just as a little bit of a heads up, when we talk about Maya Angelou's past, there is some sexual assault in it. So if you're very sensitive to that, uh, you may want, might want to skip over the history part of this later on. But I just wanted to give you that warning. We don't have a creative title because uh, Amanda's tired. Yes, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> so what are you drinking? So I made a sweet tea and bourbon. Mostly because of Django Unchained. <laughs> I'm just stuck with Diet Coke right now, but... And I have some leftover crackers from my catfish adventure because I guess I clicked on crackers when I said sides. Oh, they give you like a whole bag of crackers? No, it was just like little individual like going to the hospital crackers. Those are your going to the hospital crackers? Yeah. <laughs> yes. When they're like, here, you have to eat something. Don't yes. throw up. Yeah, like here, you have to get a shot of prednisone in your ass. Uh, have some crackers. They give Mark like cheese crackers. They got cheese. He got. Is that I'm white just... privilege? I don't know. I think that's just a Christus thing. Like, is that white privilege? Is you get listened to and cheese crackers? I mean, that's part of it. That's the black experience in a nutshell. Wait a minute, you get listened to and crackers with cheese? I don't have to eat just saltines? There were options all along. <laughs> I wasn't aware there were options. No, what, what I encourage people though is if you can avoid going to the emergency room at any point in time during this whole pandemic fiasco yeah i just want to keep calling it like a panini because i had a, have a friend who just calls it the panini uh go to urgent cares but go to good urgent cares because one of them almost killed me so yeah i don't really we don't really have a lot of great urgent cares out here we've got like one that i'll go to we don't have a lot of great anything down here medical care what's that we live in the united states yeah like i'm not i'm not like this i'm not like begrudging doctors or anything like that but like because of how healthcare is set up in america like we're not allowed to have nice things uh we're not talking about book um series of poems so we went for heavy hitters because my angelou's i almost said discography i think the separation of daft punk is still hitting me really hard just sitting here like going do i need to like do the record scratch i was like my angelou's discography not her discography her uh, bibliography is actually like pretty lengthy if you if you lessen the definition of a poem if you're very liberal with what you call a poem am i so wrong I I still don't know, man. From what I understand, there can be lots of different formats. So I mean, there are, but like, I think I was watching the art assignment with a uh, John Green's wife, who is named Sarah because she is more than John Green's wife. Uh, and she was like reading from a book of poetry, and it was just like two words in a line, and it's like a poem. This is not. Well, when we were doing Sappho, it was just like fragment fragments. It would be like the. 
I mean, in all fairness, we knew that we were working with fragments and those poems were like thousands of years old now. Which is weird. That is like, very weird. I have the hardest time realizing that like Hemingway's work is almost a hundred years old. Well, some of it is over a hundred years old. Fitzgerald and or Zelda and, and F. Scott got married over a hundred years ago now. We, we never sent him we did we not send s- him alcohol. We didn't send him a postcard. No, we did not. We need to send him a postcard. Audience, hold us accountable for sending poor lonely F. Scott Fitzgerald into he's Oh, it's like, hi, funny. I hear you're dead. Do you think he'd like one from the Alamo? I mean, maybe. He'd probably be like, what is this Texas bullshit? I think he'd just be happy to be acknowledged. I think I think Hemingway would be like, what is this Texas bullshit? Oh, Hemingway would just try to fight the postcard. Yes! Alright, uh, so we went over some heavy hitters. Uh, why does the cage work sing? Still I Rise and Phenomenal Woman. Uh, we're not reading poems because both of us are tired. I was going to say, are we reading? No. No. Uh, Tori, have you had to read how I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings before? No. The funny thing is on here, the only one that I had ever read before we started this was Still I Rise. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about it? I like how I become the teacher. Um... It's hard, man. Like, yeah. When you actually, and this is something I've been trying to to work on with some some people in my life right now. Of, hey, guess what? It's not just our experience. Mm-hmm. Read this. Read this. There's a really great book that just came out uh, or is coming out called the um, oh, I can't even remember words right now. Hi, it's um. The Zealot and the Emancipator, and it's about mm-hmm. John Brown and um, Lincoln, mm-hmm. and just the actual thoughts and stuff that were behind Lincoln's decisions and where things came from. And you're going, you had Frederick Douglass in the background going, "Okay, that's cool, but what about this? Mm-hmm. What about lasting stuff? What can we do with this?" Mm-hmm. And then it took until like the the Emancipation Proclamation for him to be like, "Okay, now you kind of get it." Mm-hmm. kind of get it mm-hmm. but i think that's that's what a lot of people are starting to wake up to is this is not just your experience there are other people there are other classes and races and stuff like that and, and how they experience things and you can't just go by stuff of what you've been through you have to see what other people have been through as well excellent i mean i was actually just talking to a friend of mine who was also black and we were talking about like black media representation because that's all the black people do is if you get us together we're just going to start talking about like optics and stuff like <laughs> that's what we do when we get together um and we're talking about how there's no like there's no unilateral black story which is why sometimes i think that like black representation is so hard to nail because just having like more black people on screen is nice and that's great but like, you're not going to tell my story, you know, just because you have one more black person on screen. Like, that's not going to tell my story or anything like that. Um, 
there's an episode of Criminal Minds where a guy, a black guy, was almost killed by the KKK. And he becomes a serial killer and starts like going after people. And he hides their bodies in his yard. To which most black people watching that episode are like, let uncle do what he needs to do. Don't bury it in your own backyard though. Like he just he just makes good points during the episode when he's talking about like race and race relations. Where I think it's Rossi who's like, have you ever taken anything for your depression? And the guy looks at him and says, the slaves didn't have Prozac. Ouch. R- right. Accurate, like, but right. ouch. Right. And like every black person who's like taking medication now is like, you are the problem. Well, what's weird out here too, and in, in, in Texas, we kind of see things a little bit differently because of Juneteenth. I mean, yes. Three years after the Emancipation Proclamation three years mm-hmm. somebody shows up and is like hey why aren't you guys free yet um we're free right what, when did that happen well so it depends on who you talk to but most knew that they were supposed to be free or at least we're hearing rumors of it so it actually ends up being there was more agency on the black end than i think some tellings give us where it's a lot of like standing around with pitchforks and hoes being like hey my cousin says we're free so uh what you gonna do about that well i mean out here too even like a decade out of the civil war we still had people killing union sympathizers yes like this is texas dead man's hole in in freaking uh burn it or well marble falls area it's like that's where they would kill people and then like dump their bodies. Yeah. What the hell? What the hell, Texas? Or you can visit the Tour de Union uh, monument, which was a group of German uh, Union soldiers who were like, hey, slavery's bad. And uh, they died fighting for the Union within Texas. And I guess Germany promptly forgot that lesson a uh, hundred years ago or a hundred years later. So, you know. <laughs> Well, there was also for that monument too, there were a group of Germans who were part of the 86ers. So they were part yes. of the um, the failed attempt to to redo government in um, Czechoslovakia when it was Czechoslovakia and Germany and the like Prussia, I guess it was at the time. And they ended up coming here and being like, oh, hell no, we're not doing this again. <laughs> and they went to leave and they actually got hunted down by this guy. Yeah, who was um, in law enforcement came and found them and shot and killed them and would not let their families reclaim the bodies. Yeah, so. Texas is awful. Um, so the whole point of talking about caged birds and sort of a you know whistle while you work kind of thing almost, but make it sad like Dumbo. Oh, <laughs> the saddest movie. It's just so sad. That movie is really hard. And then you have like drunk elephants at one point in time and a bunch of like really, really racist crows. You know what? I don't hate them. I still have a hard time like going back and watching Peter Pan and being like, did did y'all just make a song about Native Americans called What Makes the Red Man Red? What the actual F is happening here. 
Yeah, that one I can't stomach. Um, uh, I haven't watched Song of the South in a while. And I won't because Song of the South is so bad. Oh my God. Uh, now, here's the thing with this poem. It's great. It's beautifully written. There's this lovely, almost like seduction to Maya Angelou that like she's such a great writer that she can really pull you in. The problem is, is that you have to think about what the message is saying. And I wrote my little note out here because I went over all the poems, of course. And it's like every little black child is taught this poem. We're all taught it. Like it's it's like the modern old Negro spiritual. And this is what gets referenced a lot. This and her memoir of like roughly the same name. I know why the cage bird sings. This is what she's known for mm. is this metaphor and it's fine but i think especially now where we've solved racism obviously oh god exactly <laughs> um i mean we, i wish we would freaking yeah. do it um i kind of hate this narrative of suffering makes it okay and that's gonna be okay like i just uh uh i ended up getting talking about um that beautiful lie that people tell children when their parents die which is uh god will never give you more than you can handle oh my gosh when people say that it like makes me physically cringe because if you have a full-on breakdown clearly it was more than you can handle like just because you didn't die doesn't mean it's not more than you can handle and that's just something that culturally like i mean everyone kind of has this problem but especially black people have this problem of this kind of you know just put your head down and work and it's gonna be okay you know but that like has led us to really what can only be described as a mental health crisis especially for black women which exactly. we'll talk about more later um continue to learn there tends to be this this stigma too especially with women mm -hmm. um where it's why can't you hold it all together when you're doing eight thousand times more work than somebody else you know yep. a lot of women today have you know a full-time job they have their kids they have outside things that they have promised to do they have mm -hmm. to pick up the slack for certain people in their families they have to do all sorts of things and it's like well why can't you handle it why can't you juggle it why can't you be the perfect woman and it's like mm -hmm. uh that's that's not how it works especially if you have a mental illness of some sort or you're going through a particular rough time because of trauma mm -hmm. um it's not always going to be easy to go do laundry and dishes and shit if you're suffering PTSD um, or postpartum depression. And there's still such a heavy stigma for women looking to get help for postpartum mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times then if something happens to their child, like if they get into a car accident or, you know, the kid falls off their bike, then there's always that, well, what if she resents her children? What if, you know, she's mm -hmm. neglecting them? When it has nothing to do with that. 
has everything to do most of the time with hormonal imbalance and complete lack of sleep and all sorts of shit. Mm-hmm. You know? So, do you want to go on to the next one? Because we're having a good time talking about uh, the plight of women. Yeah, sure. Um, Still I Rise was the next one. This is actually one you hear a lot in feminist circles, too. Um, so fucking much. So fucking much. Um, but it's basically the whole thing of every time you go through something horrible or the harsh realities of life and all every possible horrible thing you could go through you know still i rise and it's it's like out of the ashes still i rise kind of thing like it's it's very much like the whole phoenix metaphor or thunderbird Mm -hmm. or um anything like that rising from the ashes and you know coming back time after time after time and while that is a useful metaphor sometimes Um, Mm -hmm. especially when you're like, okay, I can just get over this. I will fight for this. I'm going to still be okay. This is more important than, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. It can still, as you had put in here as your notes, it can be still used to rationalize the cruelty that you experience. Um, of, well, you know, they did this to me, but it made me stronger. Um, Mm. which is kind of fucked up. Yeah, I what I what what keeps coming to mind honestly in my head with this poem is like a "Shake It Off" by Taylor Swift, yes. where like I really wish this was more of like a breakup song and less of like an anthem. Like I don't think that this should be like your life motto, because, and this is something that I, as a victim of trauma, have been like grappling with, is where do you draw the line at like this was fucked up and bad. And but it's okay, it didn't kill me. Like, where do you draw that line of like acknowledging your childhood was fucked up and fucked up things happened to you, but you're not dead? Like, I've never accepted being called strong ever, and I hate it. <laughs> like, to this day, when my family says it, it's like, eh. <laughs> because I don't feel like I'm strong for just like, is the metric then for that just like not committing suicide? You're like, deflect. Um, well yeah I mean I'm also I'm also a master of deflecting with humor (laughs) I am I'm brilliant at deflecting with humor but like yeah like what's the metric then is it not dying is it not ending up in a facility because you're catatonic is it right like what so then at, at that point then what is what is survival but yeah, like I, I like this poem. It reads well and it's fun and it's funny, but it's just, it's been used as such a rod against black girls. I feel like this is one of those poems for like individual occasions. This is mm-hmm. not something that you, kind of like you were saying, this shouldn't be your anthem. No. This, this is your breakup song. This is yes. your... I had a bad day at work song. This exactly. is Exactly. Yeah, I had this, one bad day. This is not you were raped and left in a ditch. You know, like right. this is Cuz like there's there's not enough peppy anthems in the world that's ever going to make chattel slavery, okay? There's there's just never you're never going to throw pop music enough at this problem. Yeah, you're not going to put on fight song and be like, look, everything's good now. Right, like, look at how strong you guys are. We, we made a music video 
where all these celebrities sang Imagine really badly. Oh no. Does that help? Oh, does that help? So the last one, Phenomenal Woman. Mm-hmm. I had never heard this one before or read this one before, and I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that Maya Angelou does not shy away from sexuality. Um, I, I, I like that too. It's, you know, a very much a, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be, but I am a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a phenomenal woman. I, I, I liked that. I liked that. I don't know. I don't even know how to put that into words. It was just, it was cool that there, it wasn't a trying to make herself sound absolutely perfect. It was right. I'm exactly who I need to be. And you'll see a lot of that realism when it comes to black writers, because we still don't typically find ourselves pretty because of uh, white hegemony is that we will find other ways to describe ourselves often. Uh, it's, it, it is not, Everything Maya Angelou writes that we hold dear just feels like it was meant to be corporatized. <laughs> like it was meant, like it was meant for this horrible current apotheosis we're at, where feminism is so easily brandable. Like any one of these could be on one of those like dumb inspirational posters with like fake leaves and gold lettering and shit that you see at Forever 21. Still I Rise has been on one of those posters. I'm sure it has. Um, and it's it's hard too because it's like you feel you feel her in these poems. You feel her putting herself in these poems but then it's so easy to take it out of context mm-hmm. and make it marketable. It's, it's very similar to like Martin Luther King's speeches. Yes. Where we have what like most of the time it's people taking things from i have a dream Mm -hmm. or other statements out of context Mm -hmm. and then it's like well did you look at the rest of the body of work same thing kind of with the bible we have this this tendency to be like i'm going to quote this first half of this but leave out the entire rest of it right to make it justify my point and i think the big thing is especially like being african-american and like having gone through loss and trauma um I've witnessed this because it's happened to me. Like I've gotten like little books of poetry that are like for the tough times. It's like, no, (laughs) I don't really feel like reading a poem. I feel like eating a giant cheeseburger and going to sleep for two weeks. Yeah. It's like, I feel like going to bed and not listening to you adults continue to argue. Um, It's just so easy to turn these things into, well, it's essentially a weapon because and there's a great uh, the take video about strong black women that I forgot to add in because I was probably sleeping of <laughs> but there is this unnecessary stress on black women that society puts on us that our families put on us that other black women put on each other and it's just and even while Tori was kind of talking about it like where it's hard to do all these things when you're under certain pressures i've never had it told to me explicitly that i had to do these things it was just an expectation right like there was never there was never a conversation about it it just had to happen and that's the insidious nature of it is as a woman you are expected to do certain things 
Yes. You're expected to be the one that keeps the house. You're expected to be the one that is pliable. You're expected to be the one that gives up things mm -hmm. so that other people can, can move forward. Um, you're expected to be the first one to compromise. Honestly, and, and I think now I think that's a little bit different because at least with my family and many other how does that sound gentrify the more educated of the southern black families um it's not necessarily that those are the expectations it's you are expected to be a certain way you are a reflection of your family thus your success is their success you are expected to be as societally normal as possible which means if you're born with something that makes you non-normative that's bad like you have a beautiful little box to fit into and it probably involves Howard you know or Dillard or Spellman and if you do not do what the box says you're bad because for me my family was okay with me kind of you know like trading air quotes uh family for education because I chose education. Now I couldn't like choose to go to trade school and go be a bricklayer somewhere. Not to say that that's not valid, but like that couldn't have been my choice. Uh, but yeah, like these things are, I mean, they're used as tools to almost indoctrinate, especially black women into what can only be called a death cult is that it's a rationalization for centuries of shitty behavior. And it's sad, it's really sad. Cause yeah, like when my dad died, no, I didn't want to rise a lot. I very frequently did not want to rise at all. And there's no amount of poetry that's going to make me want to rise. It's bizarre to kind of sit back and realize how many of your choices are made by cultural norms. Yes. Um, and, and something I think that's, that's very dangerous is culturally, we tend to blame Black women for everything. You know? Yeah. We blame Black women for their own health issues. We blame Black women for... You know, you can never speak in a way that is considered acceptable. Like, I think that's that's the most frustrating thing is if you are, you know, you speak in a particular way, then people are like, oh, you're just so articulate, which is not a compliment. That's not a compliment. Please, please, please don't use it. There's actually an amazing sketch of... I'm not a huge fan of the show, but the show Inside Amy Schumer, there was a thing called Generations where basically mm. they take her, her racist grandmother and make her go to this special series of courses mm. about what to and not to say. And they make them go through like a grocery store where mm. they have to run into a Hispanic person and to a, um, a Black person. And it's just, it's so funny because they're like, no, these are our never say words. <laughs> What about this young man? Oh, the Oriental? No, we no. don't say that, Grandma. That is a no say. And it was just one of those like 
things where you're sitting there giggling and then at the same time you're like I've heard people say that at the dinner table um I had a uh I had a former boss many years ago say oriental to me oriental is for objects not for people it's for rugs and ramen thank you and it was funny because it was in the context of uh I mentioned going to the uh, Lunar New Year Festival. And he said, with all them Orientals, oh my to which God. I sighed. And I said, well, I've been Japanese Culture Club president. And he said, you know you're not Oriental, right? I was like, what? <laughs> Please tell me more. Did you like throw your hand, your the back of your hand to your forehead and yell, no, say it isn't true. I wish I could have. But I was more shocked that in like I think like 2015 we were saying Oriental and not in reference to a rug or ramen. I think I know which boss you're talking about, maybe. No, I don't. This is No, you don't. I'll have to show you. I will show you a picture of him and he is exactly the kind of guy. He's like, yep, that's him. That's that is the guy who would say that. Uh, I think the horrifying thing is I just realized that you've had multiple bosses. <laughs> yes, I have. The, the beauty of working in America while black is when I say my racist boss, that actually can refer to a few people. Uh, we every once in a while, we'll get somebody calling into my day job and they'll be like, well, my neighbors, and then they'll say something and I'll just be like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And it's like, I'm on a recorded line, so I can't be like, excuse you? Get out of here. Uh-huh. Um really we're only allowed to hang up on people if they swear at us well that's nice yeah but we can actually hang up on them i had a previous job where you weren't allowed to hang up on anybody Mm -hmm. because they might be having an emergency if they were Uh, swearing at you oh yeah and i'll leave that that alone we're not triangulating my my past job history but yeah um i it was nice to go back and read some of these poems again but it also made me angry at how society treats black women I so. that's fair <laughs> i will say yes that maya angelou was a badass oh she's great like i i have it's not her fault that we corrupted her work it's not she like we were talking about she put her heart and her soul into it and unfortunately that uh that sometimes gets monetized and turned into a corporate thing yeah it almost feels a little bit like uh, how some people have that relationship with sylvia plath yes where, like her stuff gets so it's her work is almost like anti-suicidal a lot but it'll get like conscripted into like sad girl circles and the thing is it's like I read the bell jar and this is the part where I realized I probably needed help is because I kept laughing through it yeah. going been there understood and then later on people were like no that's supposed to be very very negative you know and I'm going no she's talking about mental health issues and if you've been there you get it mm-hmm. there's the whole part with the fig tree and the like suddenly you have all of these options but if you pick one you can't pick any of the others and it's like yeah that overwhelming anxiety of what do i do with my life but yeah uh you want to do some theming really fast theming so we talked a little bit about birds 
We did. Um, they're a common metaphor for wanting to escape or to be different. I fly away. Birds are spies for the government. I think that's my favorite conspiracy theory is that birds aren't real. Like, what? Who did Charles Darwin program them for you? Did he make little finches on Gal the Galapagos Islands and just go here? I have made them as clockwork items. I'm like, no. My favorite is um, that Reagan killed all the birds to spy on people. Why? Why? Now, now the birds work for the bourgeoisie. Well, they did legitimately try to turn bats into bombs. They did. I mean, and Skinner programmed and taught birds to drop bombs, so... How did that work out? Not very well. Actually, it worked out great. B.F. <laughs> Skinner did some amazing work with that in operant conditioning in teaching birds how to drop bombs. Like, I think they just decided not to go with that phase of the mission, but they could have done it. I think, I still think my favorite thing is both Russia and the United States were working on ESP programs like yes. well into the 90s and being like we're not doing that why would we do that that's very silly also i need you to stare at this goat and see if you can kill it somebody in russia was able to stare at a frog and kill it like what also stalin's plan to make an ape man army oh lord the ape man army i mean he, uh cages. Don't this. sorry yeah it's okay cages uh we know what a cage is we know that it is a metaphor for imprisonment and enslavement. Yeah. Um, if any of you guys want to get hot and fresh and talk about how, like, okay slavery was, it was bad, and I will fight you. It was bad. I'm still, I still love slash hate reading hot takes about, like, oh, you know, some slave masters cared for their slaves. It's like. I will say there is a whole part in the Zealot, the Emancipator, where they're talking about how Lincoln is going, no, literally this war is about slavery. We would not be fighting this if we hadn't been fighting over the slave question for some time. And the South is like firing back, no, we're doing this because you're damaging our way of life. And it's like, by asking you to do what? abolish slavery. slavery i still love the that john green website the yes um, i think i showed you that one didn't you're I? the one who showed me that you are 100 percent responsible for me knowing about that yeah it's a it's www.whatcausethecivilwar.com and john green still holds to that domain and it's just a giant block text that says slavery because there is no more euphemism there's no more like Oh, economics and states rights no it was about fucking slavery and if you come at me with anything else you're being hit with a shoe question for you listen when i was a kid in school they always referred to the civil war as the civil war when my husband was growing up in georgia they referred to it as the war between the states what did they refer to it in north texas now I don't know why I became Atticus Finch for a minute, where I like leaned back and crossed my arms. Uh, I'm going to get you a white suit, white linen suit. I would love one. And just like so it could be Tom Buchanan. Um, 
just like so if you jump tom buchanan please uh See, i can now, fit into my gold sparkle dress now so good job there is a great picture of me as a child uh in a gold sequined tube dress and my two friends in silver because we're the supremes and i am the supreme i love that if you ever need to understand me as a child that's it um so i went to a private school so they just taught us education so it was the civil war like they just now if i went to public school it might be different or a different kind of public school i didn't go to public school until i was in high school and by then in a lot of um american history a lot of a push like we didn't talk about that very much like that was never our focus our focus was very like revolutionary yeah ap us history we did a real quick run through mm -hmm. it was revolution a little bit of civil war right on into world war one and world war two yeah a lot of a push is like revolution so much talk about the war of 1812 yeah which is interesting i mean they did burn down the white house that is true i mean they almost burned down the white house this year too but i digress we're gonna get we're gonna get yelled at by q people aren't we have they found us i hope not i mean are, are we relevant enough probably for q, not. For, for q to know who we are um feminism is a wonderful thing because um realistically there's different kinds of feminism there yes. is no there's no universal feminism um my brand of feminism has always been based under the quote feminism is the radical notion that women are people mm -hmm. that's that's the banner i've always marched under that if a woman wants to be a sex worker wants to be sure be free now acknowledging like the factors that could lead up to that that may be patriarchal or less than great sure but if a woman wants to be a housewife and that's her decision go be free and i Not think that's that's where people get confused they are that they think oh we want to do this a lot of the feminist movement at least in the 60s the second wave um i think it's second wave feminism because third wave was later anyway mm -hmm. um it wasn't just like oh you know we want women to be able to do this it was we want women who have already been doing this for years to be acknowledged mm -hmm. we want the single mothers who are working to be acknowledged we mm -hmm. want you know a woman who wants to work outside the home to be mm -hmm. given that option and i i think that's where we get there's there's a lot of confusion and a lot of fear and i mean you even see it at least it was a huge thing in the Miss America pageant when people finally started admitting that they were feminists. And that was like in the seventies mm -hmm. and eighties, like, and even then it was a very, very, very small portion of discussion. It was, Oh yeah, no, I identify as a feminist quick on to the next question. Mm -hmm. um, there are still a lot of women in the United States who don't want to say that they're feminists because they're worried of the negative connotations there. But for the most part, at least my brand of feminism is, I don't think I'm better than a man. I just don't think I'm worse than a man. I think we need to be on equal footing and we need to be given yeah. equal opportunities. Yeah, like most most actual feminism is more about equality than anything else. I don't know when feminism became women yelling at women. Yeah, that one's weird for me. Yeah, that I one's don't really, weird for me. I don't really know 
or at trans people mostly trans women because i guess trans men are fine if we just ignore them but like i don't know trans exclusionary radical feminism freaks me out it's i've been watching a lot of contrapoint videos on that and the, the the awful thing about turfs is that like there's almost something there well a I, lot of it is a fear of male corruption yes there there's a fear that you know men are going to quote unquote pretend to be women and come into the space yeah where the fact is the majority of trans people i know personally have always identified as a woman even when they were little but they were told obviously you're born with a penis you're going to do this right same thing with my trans friends who are trans men mm-hmm. um always felt more aligned with with masculinity always felt more aligned with you know a male gender role mm-hmm. and it's so frustrating to have people be like oh well you know he just wants to be a girly no that's not how this is working this is this is an expression of full what they they feel their identity is i mean that would be like going up to one of us and being like "Mm, no i think really you know you must have been born as a man so you need to do this this and this and it's like well uh, this is not your body or your mind or your existence or your life so accurate um it's also like stolen valor stuff of like female socialization versus male socialization it's like you don't know what it's like to be harassed at 12 by men it's like you know what you're right i don't and that's awful but you know what do you want me to do about that time machine trauma time machine let's go the number one argument that you hear all the time is oh well then you know men are going to come into the women's restroom i'm like predatory men are your concern then you're not worried about trans women right not every trans woman's buffalo bill (laughs) even buffalo bill really wasn't trans yeah he was an autogynophile there you go i'm impressed that you said that and knew that makes me happy thank you contrapoints and then benjamin ravsdale was just your garden variety manic depressive did you read uh, J.K. Rowling's uh, I Hate Trans People book? No, I don't read any of her shit if I can help it anymore. Yeah, she has a, she has a, a crime serial with a cross-dressing man who uses his uh, trans passingness to kill women. Just, I don't know. I had an argument about this with family members this week about people fucking up and then doubling down if she had just been quiet honestly i do think that women tend to get pulled through the ringer more for stupid shit that they say than men do Mm. now am i i am not saying she doesn't deserve it because i truly believe first you know we'd have the right to freedom of speech Mm. but that does not protect you from the consequences of your actions. Yeah. If you I, I are don't... an asshat, you're going to get treated like an asshat. I also think that when, though I will say this, I do think that when women, I, 
step out of line is the only word that I can come to. It's not the best one, but let's deal with that later. Uh, they go hard is the problem. Is it like when men usually say something that's like not kosher, it's just like, that's a bad Daniel Tosh joke ripoff. But like when women do it, they're just like left field wrong. Well, what's what's fascinating too is is the doubling and tripling down. Yes. Especially if they have a history of putting their foot in their mouth. Right. Um I I do agree that there is danger in automatically being like, let's burn them all down. I mob mentality yes. is like my biggest fear. I hate mob sure. mentality because that's how you get things like insurrection. Um where I don't agree is if we were kids and we swore at our parents or our guardians or we lied or we said something horrible, we would have gotten punished, right? If we were in school, we would have gotten punished. So why is the people think they can say it on social media and get away with it? Because people tend to think that social media is not as public as it is. And it's crazy because it's incredibly public. So I do I do tests sometimes. I made a TikTok that was just like basically a screenshot of there's this thing, it's um like Hill Country scanner. So basically they post the weirdest stuff that comes up. So basically somebody fought a beaver the other day. Um, and then recently a chicken got frozen to the road, like yes. actually frozen to the road. And yes, it did make it to the other side. Anyway. I will just take those screenshots and put them on TikTok thinking nobody will watch them. I'll come back. There's been 250 views and that's 30 minutes. Like this stuff goes around and that's working with, with this organization that I work with. We try to advise kids of that too. Like lock your privacy settings down. Don't say stuff that you don't want to show up on the internet 15 years from now. And that's hard to do, especially if you're a kid and even adults, you know, we say stupid shit all the time and then go, Oh, probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah. No, the difficulty is we're in an age where that stuff lives. Mm -hmm. You know, you can use websites like Wayback machine and pull stuff up. Um, sure can. Yup. So I, it's it's dangerous. I mean, it's great that we have access to all this knowledge and stuff now, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be a woman. We're doxxed more often online than men are. True. We have more harassment. Um, I don't know. It's a lot. Um, but circling it back to feminism, there is definitely um, a different type of Black feminism that is constantly evolving because black women are still trying to figure out how we want to be treated um because we've only been legal people for about a hundred or so years so uh learn your camps of feminism one and then two understand that uh this is a changing and evolving discussion it's not you know like the <laughs> it's not you know the, the ten commandments hammered down in stone Speaking of, I completely forgot about Prince of Egypt and its beautiful uh, Christian propaganda. I don't think I've seen that movie in like 10 years. Maybe I got, longer. I got one of the songs stuck in my head and I found one in the music videos and it was like, this is some glorious propaganda, isn't it? 
So I have a lot of hairspray in my hair and I don't realize it till I go to scratch my head and then it's like, this is a shell. That happened to me the first time I got um, like sew-in extensions or I'd like go to scratch my scalp and it's like, oh, I can't reach skin. There's like a barrier. Oh, yay thick. Um, the struggle of black women and black girls. Uh, considering that we literally can have a whole other podcast about that, that's just me whinging. Uh, we're not going to go too, too deep into that, but please keep in mind that, um, not to say that black men don't go through a struggle, but, uh, check on your black female friends. They're exhausted. Absolutely. The, the code twitching, the cat calling, just all of it. We're tired all I, the time. I have a friend who is a black woman and she went to go get gas the other night and she goes, Okay, so y'all, I know about code switching. Okay, I've been doing mm-hmm. it my whole life. She goes, mm-hmm. this guy all of a sudden dropped his thing. It was making fun of me because I was being very serious and straightforward. And she goes, and he didn't like that. She goes, I don't really know how to feel right now because I kind of just got bullied by my own people. And it was Yeah, like, I've gotten that. I've gotten that you should smile more a lot. Oh. Hey, hot take. Um, you ever want to get a lady to smile? The number one way to do it, the number one way to ensure that she'll never smile at you again is say you should smile more. Don't say that to women. Just don't. Please, I don't please care. Don't. I don't care who you are. Don't tell women to smile more. We hate you. And we don't forget. As problematic as my favorite murder can be, I am very thankful that they taught people to fuck politeness, that you don't have to be nice to the creepy guy because he's trying to hit on you. Like, you don't have to do it. Now, you do have to be, unfortunately, as a woman, very, Mm. very cautious about, is this guy going to go batshit crazy and do something stupid? I was about to say, I... I'm sickened by the amount of privilege in that sentence because I know I've never felt comfortable enough to fuck politeness when it comes to being approached by men because men have knives and black women die. Like the, the, the shocking amount of privilege to think that you can do that. For me, it was more online and it was, I don't have to talk to this guy especially after you sent me an unsolicited dick pic. However, when you're out in public, I mean, I have literally had to do the thing before where I've hidden a bathroom when I was in Scotland. Um, I have sat on my female friend's lap and pretended she was my girlfriend so a guy would leave me alone. I have had my friends walk me out to a car so to make sure that I got home okay. Like, we we used to as Ed, when I worked at Barnes and Noble yawns ago, we always walked each other to our cars. Yeah, we're always very very careful about that. Sure. Um, and still, where I work now, we have that that concern at night of oh, you're hosting a meeting by yourself. Do you have a weapon? Mm-hmm. And we're talking mostly tasers and mace, but do you have something to protect yourself? Will you text me when you're out of your meeting? Like, mm-hmm. will you make sure that you uh give me a call when you get home that kind of thing mm-hmm. and i mean we do that with each other too hey call we me do. when you get home so i know you're okay or text me yeah. when you get home um 
I mean, before COVID when we saw yeah. each other on the regular, yes. but, um, and I went places back in the day. Yeah. I found your Christmas present, by the way, that Woo! showed up like a week after we exchanged gifts. Woo! I'm like, damn it. Um, we're both like, I can tell how tired we are. Cause we're both just like, uh-huh. Okay. I'm doing my best. It's been, no, you're doing fine. It's been a very long week. It has. Um, on top of losing power and losing water and having Texas be just a complete shit show for a solid mm-hmm. week, um, there are still people without water. There are. There are still people who are trying to get a plumber out because all their pipes burst or multiple pipes burst. Yep. Um, grocery stores just got stocked up again for, yes. some most, for the most part. Yes. Um, there's still some stuff that you can't get, but yes. it's like... Basics you can grab. Yes. Um, gas seems to be back to normal. Woo! But I mean, it took like a week and a half. It did. Um, which I know we shouldn't complain, especially if you're like looking at places like um, Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff like that, where this is a perpetual war. We're just waiting on medical supplies. Like, we can have our own problems. Yeah. But I mean, we had people literally freeze to death and die people who couldn't leave their house on oxygen who watched their batteries slowly drain before they died we had we had a lot of a lot of shit go down yeah and they're just now doing the investigation of why it happened the way it happened so if we sound exhausted it's because because we we are are. because (laughs) we had to go back to we to work the next week like nothing happened yeah like uh, we had to work that week like nothing happened yeah so uh there's your struggle we had no questions from listeners which is honestly this stage fine because we're both very very tired uh so i've got some information about maya angelou cool um she was born marguerite annie johnson on april 4th 1928 she was the second child of bailey johnson and vivian johnson her dad was a doorman and her mom was a nurse and a card dealer because she was a badass Mm-hmm. Um, her or Maya Angelou's nickname was actually Maya, as in my sister. That's what her brother used to call her. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she was about three, her parents were fighting really bad, so her dad sent them to Arkansas alone by train. Uh, they were her, the two kids were three and four years old alone on a train. Oh no! Yeah. Anyway, her grandma was a total badass who did really well for herself during the depression because she had a general store. She Mm -hmm. sold what people needed. She was Mm -hmm. honest about it. So people kept coming back Mm -hmm. Um, for year. They were there for four years, but with no warning, their dad came and picked them up and took them back to her mom. Like, okay, we're done now. Uh, This is where I would skip about 30 seconds ahead. um, If you're sensitive to rape, Um, when she was eight, she was abused and raped by her mother's boyfriend his name was Freeman. He was found guilty, but only spent one day in jail. And four days after his release, he was murdered. It's believed that the, her uncles likely were the ones who killed him. Sounds about uh, right. Yep. <sighs> not upset about that. Anyway, I am upset about what happened to her. So mm-hmm. she went mute for five years. Oh. Um, she didn't talk. She thought it was her voice that was responsible for why he died because she had turned him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she thought her voice was dangerous which oh my god fuck right i'm um, sorry all i can think about is a uh, black bolt from inhumans it's just like baby um so 
she read a lot during this period. She got developed an incredible memory and observation skills, which later would come in handy for writing. Mm-hmm. After Freeman's death, she and her brother actually returned to her grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. And she became very good friends with Mrs. Bertha Flowers, who helped her start speaking again, at least according to my Angelie. They were, became really good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she turned 14, she ended up moving back with her mother, but they moved to Oakland, California. She worked hard and became the first black female cable car operator in San Francisco, which was evidently something she'd always wanted to do. Um, her mom said it was because she really liked the uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up winning awards for that, which I thought was pretty cool about her um, cool. being the cable car operator. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had her child Clyde at 17, and she he changed his name later to Guy Johnson. Cool. In 1951, she married a Greek man named Tosh Angelos. Even though she got very serious drama from her family, as well as basically everyone around them at the time, because it was considered to be an interracial marriage. Well, no, it was. There was no consideration. It was. There's, yeah. it just, he it was, he, a, he was, was Greek a, and presented white. Like that, come on. Um, it was for debate. It, it was. So their family, ended the, as in um, Mr. Angelos and she and uh, Clyde moved to New York. So Maya could learn African dance, and then they moved back to San Francisco shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Her marriage didn't end in 1954, and she ended up dancing professionally in San Francisco, including at a club called the Purple Onion. It was at that time she shortened her name to Maya Angelou, Maya being her nickname, mm-hmm. um, and she toured Europe in a production of Porgy and Bess and ended up also recording an album. Sweet. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poems, plays, movies, and TV shows. And four of those books she wrote in the last 10 years of her life. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, son. Um, Maya Angelou was honored with more than 50 honorary degrees in her life. Her mo- And tons and tons and tons of awards. There are just, like, so many. Um, she did a poem recitation at President Clinton's inauguration. Her most famous book is I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, which is, describes her life up to the age of 17. Mm-hmm. She ended up working heavily in the civil rights movement, including working directly with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And get this. So she is in her 80s, right? And she was doing about 80 appearances a year on the lecture circuit. Like yeah. she would just go. She was older. She's like, whatever, I'm fine. Just going to do this. Um, she ended up passing away after an illness at the age of 86 on May 28th, 2014. And she's also been nicknamed the Black Woman's Poet Laureate. And I can see that for her. Yeah. Like, I no, can... I got stuff to do. Yeah, I can do that for her. Uh, did we have to read this in school? Yeah, I had. I don't know if I read it for school, but I definitely read this a lot when I was younger. And uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't hold up. But uh, it definitely hits different. We actually did not cover this in school. They oh. basically covered Richard Wright and went, okay, we're good. Here's your black. Be free. To be fair, though, my teacher that year was a pretty hardcore stoner. And we found his erotica that he wrote and published on the internet. Printed it out. Brought it to school. Read it in front of the class. Um, my friend and I were assholes. Anyway, uh... After that, he he eased up on grading of our papers. Well, that's nice. Yeah, good job. I do kind of uh, feel bad because I mean, he was just he was just a sweet stoner. Like he would show up every day with red eyes and be a little bit spacey, and we were his first class of the day. Uh huh. So I think it was just one of those like, oh, honors lit. Yeah, these kids are assholes. I'm done. 
So we have some resources for you. She has her own domain, her own website, myangelou.com. Yes, and it is still active. And it also links to drmyangelufoundation.org. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to donate, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, really good information. And like I said, they continue to keep it updated. Mm-hmm. That is good. That's, oh, my Angelou. I mean, yeah, I... I have to imagine that thinking about it, I can't think of being like the black Sylvia Plath where like my work is just so like, this isn't, this isn't what I was expecting. This isn't who, this isn't who I wanted to be. And I mean, her work is incredibly impactful. It is. It's, it's, I will never say don't read it ever. But I think you have to be in a mindset for it, honestly. So our next book is, do you want to tell them? You want me to do it? We're reading Julius Caesar. Because, you know, Ides of March. (laughs) Uh, I want a nap. Um, Anyway. I also want a nap. Also, it's still Black History Month. If you want to do some real good uh, donate to the Tuskegee Study uh, Memorial Fund and the museums because we still don't talk enough about the Tuskegee Study. It shouldn't have taken me till the age of 34 to find out what the Tuskegee Study was. It shouldn't take anyone that long. Also, uh, we've come to discover in research because my family has done a lot of work with the Tuskegee Study of Relief and museums because we were a part of it unfortunately that in theory we could say the study extended into the 90s holy shit because we usually cut off and say like 70s 80s but technically we can say this probably went into the 90s that's yay oh well because like the people that do know about it tend to think it was like a thousand years ago it wasn't it wasn't. What's interesting to me is every, God, I don't know what the exact number is, but a certain number of decades, they'll mm-hmm. release documents from, you know, the FBI and the CIA and, you know, world doc or uh, world war documents and stuff like that. So we have mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff from like world war two mm-hmm. and like the forties and fifties now that are out mm-hmm. um, and going through and being like, fuck, our country did what? Right. Um, and like, and, and we did this like last year. Like, <laughs> And there's, you know, obviously we have stuff that's going to come out when we're probably dead and our grandkids or whatever are going to look at stuff and be like, oh, shit, do you know what they did in 2010? Like, man, yes. 2020 was bullshit. Like, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly expecting our kids in future generations and stuff to be looking at the stuff about imprisoning children in cages and being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? The same way we are about Japanese internment camps. I hope that's the case. I really do. Well, evidently, we just have a new camp with more of a happy, friendly feeling. Now it says welcome in Spanish. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Anyway. I need another drink. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're going to do some vague uh, Roman screeching. Uh, you know where to find us. Just go to, go to unfortunately, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com our website that Tori maintains beautifully. You'll find us. 
I try. You great. So this will probably be going up a little bit later because I'm probably going to go take a nap. Although I'm going to have to prop my hair up so I don't ruin it. Yeah, we're going to go take naps now. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, happy end of Black History Month. We hope you learned a lot. Uh, it's been hard on everyone right now. Uh, so just be kind. Just just be kind. That's all I have to say. You ready to end the episode so we can take a nap? Yes. Everybody okay. just go read a book. Yeah, go read a book. We're going to take a nap. Bye.